Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. We welcome all new listeners. Um, I just want to reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to talk about some of the publications that he's written for recently. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Haggerty Classic Car. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. Um, and Ben, I actually wanted to get your get your plug on something else that you've been working on as well. You have a graphic novel, don't you? Yes. So there's a graphic novel I've been working on with an artist, a colorist, and a designer called Code 45. And we've, our first issue hit Kickstarter in March and successfully funded, and we shipped it all out. And we're currently running the second campaign for issues one to three. So if you haven't read Code 45, you can catch up. All issues are available digitally and in print. And we've got a bunch of other cool stuff too, like pins and stickers and art prints available through the Kickstarter. If you already have issue one, you can pick up two and three through this Kickstarter as well. You find it at www.code-45.com. So that's code-45.com. Eventually, next year in 2021, we're going to be publishing this in retail at comic book shops and bookstores through Scout Comics. But we're fundraising and creating the content and the art right now. And the cool thing about it is that the um, art that we're working on, the the version of the, of the book that we're working on right now, it's issue two and three together in one 52-page mega issue. We're never going to be offering that at retail, so this is your only chance to get it. Awesome. You know what? I have my package from the first Kickstarter. I absolutely love the artwork, and I also got this really cool pen. Uh, it's really gorgeous, and I get a lot of attention um, with it. Which is A lot nice. of attention. Well, from the few people I've seen so far, yes. They're like, hey, cool pen, and that's it. Um, so let's get back to cars though, Ben, because, well, not cars. Let's talk about trucks. You drove a truck recently and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Go. So I spent some time in the 2020 Ford Ranger, Sammy, and it's been a long time since I've driven it. I, I think the launch was 18 months ago. Is that right? Yeah. And I, if, if the reader, if the listener hears some disappointment in my voice, I hate talking about the Ranger. Do you like talking about the Ranger, Ben? I want to hear, because the Ranger... It's supposed to be it's supposed to be a good truck. I mean, it's been around the world. It's it's, you know, it's a global vehicle and they brought it back for us, but it I don't think it was it was everything it was supposed to be when it arrived back in North America, right? I don't dislike talking about the Ranger because a lot of people ask me about it and it was a vehicle that got a lot of hype when it first came out because the old Ranger was really popular and it was kind of the last of its kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it got the sh- it got taken out of the the showroom at Ford because it was it was fairly old as a design and you know safety fuel mileage and all that it didn't make a lot of sense. Ford was concentrating on the F one fifty where they all their profits come from. Um, but uh, the, the you're very correct in saying that the Ranger that we got was built for someone else <laughs> and then imported for North America. And when that happened, a lot of things happened with it, Sammy. And what, what is it about the truck that you like the least? What is it that sticks in your craw, so to speak? Uh, I think the interior is extremely disappointing, um, more so than anything else. It's, uh, it is a completely dated interior. Almost, It looks 10 years old, maybe over 10 years old. I don't know if I'd say 10 years, but definitely five years. It's very much like getting into... I kind of describe it as like a a rental fusion, like a 2014, 2015 fusion, which means it's not bad, 
but it's not current. So no. a lot of the designs and plastics and materials you're looking at, they're kind of lifted from a different era of automotive. And it's jarring when you compare it against, I mean, the Tacoma is not very nice inside either, the, which would be a direct competitor to the Ranger. The Colorado is a little bit nicer inside, but yeah. at the very least, those trucks feel more modern. Uh, the Ranger, it's uh, for the price you're paying and it's not an inexpensive truck. No, they can get very expensive. Yeah, they started about 25 grand, but the one I drove was just over 43,000. Um, oh and that's because I had like the FX4 off road package, I had a technology package, I had a couple of appearance packages. It, it adds up fairly quickly. And mm-hmm. if you're paying that much money, you kind of want something that feels like it was built for and in 2020. So I want to actually backtrack a little bit because I said that, you know, this truck was built for another market rather than the North the North American market. And I don't think it's fair to say that because I know that the Tacoma is also sold in other markets. And so is the whatever the Colorado. I think the Colorado is derived from a global product as well. So maybe I shouldn't be so harsh on that. But I think the point what I'm trying to make here is that it feels like an old global product rather yeah, well, than something I mean, they could have done a long time ago rather than just a few years ago. It, it's one thing for a truck to share its platform with a global product. It's another thing for that product to be imported wholesale. Yeah. And when you talk about the Colorado, it's a different truck than what you'd find in other markets. But mm-hmm. Ford has had this tendency in the last five years to bring over products almost unchanged and just set them loose in the market. I think the, the, the most... Um, shocking version of that was the Echo Sport or Eco Sport or oh, how we want to talk. What a dud that car! I feel so bad. For that was that a car. Southeast Asian market subcompact crossover that was yeah. completely unsuited for North America in terms of features and output and fit and finish. It was just not very. It, you compare a vehicle like that against something like the Kicks, and you can see very uh, a longtime friend of the show. You can very, <laughs> very quickly determine which one had some thought put into it, and which one was just grabbed off a shelf and brought somewhere it didn't belong. Okay, but hold up. There were times. I think the Focus, the Ford Focus, was derived from a global product, and and I think the Escape, the last generation Escape, and maybe even the current generation Escape as well, is considered a global product. But they but weren't those, designed exclusively for somewhere else and then brought here. That's that's right. That's the point. I think that's that's well, actually, maybe in the in the case of the Focus, it was, and I think for a compact car, it actually it proved to be the better the better fit. That's okay. I think feature wise, uh, the Focus you'd find here would be quite different from Europe. Okay, I think uh, styling and and ride and. Maybe feature-wise, you're right. Okay. I think styling-wise, it fit really nicely in terms of size and space um, in this market. But uh, now we're getting off. Yeah, off well, now top. we're talking about a car that's not even on sale anymore. So Yeah, way to go. It's for dead it. to the podcast. Yeah, and we'll never talk about it so, again. So uh, I drove the Ranger at the launch. We did a lot of Ranger stuff, which was a lot of off-roading and um, towed some boats. That was a big deal for Ford because you can only get a Turbo 4 with the Ranger. Uh, it's, it's, it's like what, 310 horsepower, something like that. Yep. And it, it's, it's 350 pound feet of torque. I want to say, sorry, it's, it's 270 horsepower and 310 pound feet of torque. So they okay. were like, look, it's a four cylinder. You can get V sixes elsewhere, but ours is it's and diesels actually, but our, our engine is pretty good. Try it out. So I didn't have any problems towing. It did fine. Um, but the more time I spent with the drivetrain in day to day driving of my regular life, the less I've come to like it. Okay. Uh, I think I can – I've had this for a short period of time as well, but in the fall. And I remember a couple of things standing out. Uh, the transmission 
And the powertrain didn't seem like the biggest issue to me, but it was more like the ride quality didn't seem very good. And uh, it, it was a, very, a bit stiff, a little bit wobbly. It felt like a bigger truck than it is. For me, it's the transmission. It's really... Oh, you, you found issues with the transmission. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it really ruins the experience when you're just driving around town at lower speeds. There's a lot of... Um, it's a 10-speed, first of all. And there's a lot of time spent in high gears where the truck just kind of feels like it's lugging or loafing. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have an immediacy that I would want in terms of acceleration. And even when you're cruising at a lower speed, it it just kind of makes like a low rent sound. Like, yeah. So the revs are so low, it's kind of it's kind of like... And it doesn't inspire confidence. It never made me feel like if I kick the pedal down, I'd be able to surge forward in traffic and maybe sneak into a hole or, you know, pass a car. It, it has good power, but it doesn't give you confidence that it has that power. I think that's a chronic issue with some of these um, transmissions that have more than eight gears. I would say these nine and ten speed transmissions uh, tend to have this. They they are eager to put it in the highest um, the highest gear, and as a result, you're like under two thousand RPM, and it feels like you're lugging. And then to get into a a, uh, a power ba- into the power band, it feels like it drops like four gears or five gears, and that takes forever. And it makes this insane noise sometimes of like this this symphony of gear changes, um, and it's it's absolutely unrefined. It's I, I totally hear you on this. I don't remember that happening so much in the um, in the Ranger, but I've had it happen in other vehicles as well. So I totally understand where that frustration is coming from. Um, something else that uh, affected I don't know if I want to say this is the drivetrain of the truck, but um, it definitely the driving experience was the safety equipment that came with it. So oh, yeah. the truck has a forward collision warning system, which is, you know, the Ranger honestly has a lot of advanced driver's aids that you wouldn't necessarily expect to have in a pickup, especially like a mid-range pickup like this. But uh, I was I was impressed with the amount of gear that was there, but I wasn't impressed with how it worked. So I had this continual uh-huh. issue with the truck where if I was stopped at a stop sign or a stoplight behind another car and that car accelerated away and I slowly pulled up to the stop sign, I would get a collision warning. It would blast in front of me. It would say, like, impact imminent or whatever it says. It, it puts, like, an icon on the dash, and it be- yeah. goes boop, 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 simply because I was accelerating towards a vehicle that was already accelerating away. It, was, it wasn't like I was zooming up either. Like, I was crawling forward most of the time to get to, you know, my place in the stop line. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really – the first time it happened, I just chalked it up to, you know, sensor error or whatever. But it happened multiple times over the course of different days. And that's something that doesn't happen across the board with this type of technology in other vehicles. Right. And I mean, it's not like you're driving the car any differently than any other vehicle that you've you've been driving. No. So- and the the other the other more worrying aspect of it was twice when that happened. Once the alarm cut off, I got a message on the dash that said um, forward collision warning no longer available. Okay. So I don't know what that was about. <laughs> so it's this one time use. It's like it's warning us that it's about. <laughs> it's like a bee stinger. It's like once yeah. the bee stings you, it's it's. I then. warned you, my job is done. <laughs> So that was strange. Um, and, you know, combine that with the uh, infotainment system that's – it's okay, but it, it was a little slow. Uh, the interior that's not great and the transmission that's kind of wonky. I can't really recommend the Ranger to anybody. And that's unfortunate because I really wanted to be able to do that. And, I mean, it, it, it isn't an ugly – it isn't a very ugly truck. Um, it isn't a very ugly truck. Is that your way of saying it has acceptable looks? Like what is- Well, I mean trucks are – trucks are – they're pretty practical and I think styling isn't always the number one concern when it comes to them. So I would love – I would like to say that this is a, 
of trucks, of all the trucks out there, it's not an ugly one. Okay. So, and it's got some style for sure. But it seems like it has far more issues than than are worth it. However, is it practical? Doesn't it? Can't it tow? Can't it haul? Can't it do truck stuff? Like, did you manage to, to, to get it out on the road? Did you put anything in the bed? How did it feel? Well, I told it? you at the launch I towed stuff with it. It was fine. Um, and I, you know, I, I hauled some small items in it. It was... It's it's a, it'll do the job as a truck. I don't really think that's the question. I think the question is, do you want to pay this much money for something that's right. not worth it? Like it, right. it's it's you want to pay this much money for um a functional vehicle that's charging a premium price. That's my problem with the Ranger. If the Ranger was just 25,000 in the in the spec I was driving it, then it would have a stronger case. But if it's going up against the Tacoma and the Colorado, which are much nicer, in, in mm-hmm. most respects, then I, I I will say this: the power in the Ranger is, you know, I think it's better than the Tacoma. Yep. But it's it's the overall experience. Just and and you know, the, the Tacoma has things like resale value that are really going for it. So mm-hmm. it's it, the Ranger kind of it, it hadn't been on the market in a long time, and it showed up, and it wasn't that great. And yeah. I think why in, show, why even show up to the party if you're not gonna try to compete right exactly like when the colorado came back on the market after its hiatus it, the, first of all the truck it was replacing was not that good so <laughs> they had no the but five it, cylinder yeah they they had that inertia to overcome they had a whole generation of truck buyers who were like i had a bad experience with the colorado so they they gm really made sure that that truck was on point ford didn't have to overcome bad mojo but they did have to overcome the fact that no one's been in a ford showroom for a decade looking for oh. a uh a mid-sized truck no i think what what probably happened for ford is when they can't when they stopped the ranger back in i think it was 2008 i'm thinking i think it might have been 12 but i'm not sure exactly. okay um then they try to hustle it their 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 current customers who are looking to replace the Ranger into an F150 saying it's just as affordable which we we both know may be true but you're also taking a, a hit in terms of size and fuel economy maybe in 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 relationship to the to the Ranger so then i think they got enough people in in F150s and now they're they're coming back to clean up any remainders who who are still holding on to a smaller uh, an, an ideal for a smaller truck yeah, that's 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 very possible. It just it it's almost like a because we can thing, and mm-hmm. it what doesn't feel like it was a planned strategy. And I think that that's too bad because they really could have made an impact here. I love small trucks, and especially I, I'm liking them more and more because the regular 1500s are like huge. They're absolutely massive, and they're very they can get very expensive. So I I really do want to love small trucks, and it's getting harder to because. So many of them miss some very key aspect. One of the ones that I really do love, though, is the Colorado. And one of the most important things about the Colorado is they've come out with some pretty impressive versions of it, including the the ZR2 or the ZR2. Um, and I thought that was very important to help bring the prestige and the and the 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 hype around this truck. Yeah. And I think if Ford tried to do a little bit more with the uh, with the Ranger, if they did in fact bring a Ranger Raptor, which I believe is available in other markets, this might help um, bring some attention to the to the vehicle. But at the same time, does it need that attention when its, its interior is clearly lacking? Its transmission is not refined, um, and, and it has some some other um, issues that needs to get 
fixed. And and uh, you know, this you, you mentioned size when you're talking about trying to get people up into a full size truck and the hit that you take. I really like the form factor of the Ranger in the city. Mm. It fits in very well. It wasn't difficult to drive. It feels much more manageable. Uh, so this is this is a good sized truck. In a lot of ways, I don't like the fact that I can't get a very long bed with it. Yeah. But so it, it reduces its utility. I mean, this is the kind of truck where you're going to have the tailgate down, you're going to have stuff hanging out the back, you know. But right. um, that's just kind of the way it is with four door trucks these days. You can get a rear hinge door version of the truck if you want. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, the, the room right. in the back is not, it's not really usable for humans. You want the full four door. One of the small trucks that I do like and doesn't get enough attention, and I think we always forget about it, is the Ridgeline. It is the most – I think it's the most accommodating small pickup truck. for. But it's, it's definitely bigger than a Ranger, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I think it's a tiny bit bigger than – it's it's closer maybe to the Gladiator in size I think makes sense. But it's also less trucky than than other trucks. Like I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. So it's practical, but it's also not as practical as a full-size uh, or a, a, a mid what do they call them? Compact truck. I also find so, that the, the Colorado is less trucky than the Ranger. I feel like it drives more like a small crossover, in, and then that's in its favor. Interesting. Okay, I didn't. I didn't feel as uh, I, well. Okay, I'll be honest. The the last Ranger and the the most memorable one is that ZR2. So that had that really important DSSV dampers, which which are they, they're such good suspension. It's such a good suspension. Yeah, you suspension. mean you mean the Colorado? Yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Uh, I, I can't repeat it. Okay, we'll see. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, uh, I, I think that did ride very well, uh, in that situation. So, um, moving on from the Ranger, Sammy, yes. you drove something that's off-road ish recently. Yeah. And this is something that you've had recently as well. This A couple months t- ago, I think. Yeah. This is the RAV4 TRD off-road, um, version of it. And there's a lot to talk about with this. And in order to help, I, I, I will add that one of my favorite things to do in this in this industry is not just write and talk about one car, but talk about it in comparison to other cars. Because so many cars nowadays are quite good, but you need to see just how good, how much better they are compared to other vehicles. And I brought along a Subaru Forester as well. And I thought that's an important pair of cars to or, or crossovers to to discuss. One, the Forester's always had this kind of off-road, rugged kind of appeal to it because it always came standard with all-wheel drive although i'm sh- i'm certain that most crossover buyers buy the all-wheel drive version of their crossovers anyways well the the forester always came in that in that version um and i also think that the forester has interesting history especially when you when you compare it to the rav4's history which the 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 forester was always this kind of quirky alternative to the established um big crossovers i think most people would 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 see CRVs and RAV4s on the road, where the Forester was kind of like this quirky alternative. Um, it always came with all-wheel drive, and I think the buyers of those cars probably really liked how different they were, but also had some concerns about the interior and the quality of the interior. Yeah, I think that the early Foresters were, I, I wouldn't say Sportin, sorry, excuse me, I wouldn't Spart- say Spart- <laughs> Spart- Sportin. I wouldn't say that either. I wouldn't say they were Spartan, but they were definitely uh, plain. And I yeah. like I like that about Subaru in that time. But I mean, you're you're right. You you compare them to the Rav4 and the CRV, they felt a little more refined. So Subaru knew their customer, and it was only I think in the last ten years that they tried to expand past who that customer is. But then, in contrast, we take a look at the the Rav4, and especially its hybrid, its its history. I can I can't 
remember what a last generation RAV4 looks like. I can't remember what the, the generation before that looks like. I can maybe only remember the first generation RAV4. Well, that's because you've taken so many blows to the head as a karate instructor, Sammy. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I think it was, despite it being one of the most popular products on the road, and probably I see a, a hundred of them a, a day, I do not think it was ever that interesting of a vehicle. It drove poorly it looked poor it looked really lame and um i think the latest generation rav4 is showing us that toyota actually cares about that image because it looks so good and especially when you start putting these trd off-road parts on it um it shows uh, or this trd off-road package on it it shows just how cool um a crossover can actually look and so i'm trying to discuss right now with you the progression of the the brand and the image of toyota's rav4 and how that's been moving. And then we can talk about the Forester as well, because there have been some pretty big strides on Subaru's front um, in terms of how they've tried to change the perception around the Forester over the past few years, and especially with this latest generation. Well, I think I think looks are subjective, because I know that there are people who did not really care for how aggressively angled a lot of Toyotas have become, and that includes the RAV4. So I think that you know, there's a, a lot of the perhaps the reason why the vehicle was so popular early on alongside the CRV was it was totally inoffensive on the eyes. Like it oh. wasn't it wasn't an aggressive design. It wasn't an ugly design. It was yeah. uh, it, it was kind of there. OK, so now they've they've done they've done away with that inoffensive design. It looks now like a like a real SUV. Um, it has that boxy look um, and which I think it's actually very um, tastefully done the boxiness of it. Um, and it looks a lot like the Forerunner, and uh, it has a little bit of Tacoma in there, and maybe even a little bit of uh, Land Cruiser in there as well. So now, if you're telling me that there's customers who are looking for uh, an inoffensive design, I think maybe the Forester might be that. Even though it is also boxy, it is completely anonymous looking. It has no style. Uh, it makes zero presence on the road, um, and is as quiet and meek as, an, as a crossover I think can look. But uh, and then when you get in the interior of these two cars, you can see that Toyota as well has made some pretty big strides in there as well, especially this TRD off-road package that I had had all these really cool red accents. I love the big rug rugged and rubberized knobs uh, for the HVAC and, and infotainment system. This now comes with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. So it shows that Toyota is trying to accommodate um, the more tech focused buyers that might come into their showrooms. And um, I was pretty impressed with this as well. I wasn't as impressed. Uh, I wasn't as impressed as I was in the Forester, especially in the highest trim model. Um, it, the model I have has this gorgeous brown leather, um, really refined looking um, materials all over, all throughout the cabin. Um, it's it's pretty quiet in comparison to the Rav Four, and uh, I think that shows. You know, we we were talking how Spartan old Foresters were, and it shows how far Subaru has tried to ditch that persona as well. And I think they've managed that really well. It's uh, you know, I think that the the it, it, in terms of size too, both of these vehicles have trended towards getting really big <laughs> yeah, um, over weird. the years. Uh, the, the, but of the two, I'd say the Rav Four doesn't feel as big necessarily and i think it's borne out inside i don't think it's as big as the forester either yeah um i would say the forester seems to have a little bit for one of my issues actually is the uh is the headroom in the rav4 seems a little low i think if you're over six feet you're going to definitely notice the the headroom being an issue and i think that's actually been a bit of an issue with other tnga platform um vehicles i think we've had this complaint with chrs with uh some corollas as well I can't remember how we felt about the Highlander 
but that had a few other compromises throughout the vehicle. As yeah, well. I didn't. I didn't find the Highlander to be that that tight inside. But then again, I'm not a very tall person. Um, the engine is a a 2.5 liter four cylinder engine. I think we've talked about this kind of stuff before. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. Nothing terribly wrong with it. I used to have issues with the transmission, an eight-speed automatic transmission that used to chug in first and second gears. I will say that the version I have today um, uh, didn't do that, and uh, I'm pretty happy with that uh, experience. However, the the throttle response in that Forester, which also uses a 2.5-liter engine, but because it's paired to a CVT, which do get a bad rap, um, but it's very responsive. It almost jumps off the line, which I think is is uh, a big surprise. I used to think that these were kind of dull dull cards to drive, and now we're seeing this uh, this dynamic change. One thing I do miss about the Forester is the the lack of turbo model. Yeah, I mean, we used to have an XT. It was pretty fun. Um, it was also CBT only. Uh, towards the end of its lifespan, but WRX. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, the powertrain. <laughs> but uh, it was fun to drive, and I think that was something that helped set the Forester well apart from other crossovers in its segment, except for maybe like the the CX five. But uh, it, it, recent models, I mean, you, you can't get that motor anymore, and it's it's it is a shame. And I, I think I agree with you there, and uh, I I would be surprised if. Um, they don't put a, a turbocharged engine in the Forester soon because the Outback has one, the Legacy has one, the Cross Truck is getting one. Why not? I mean, the Forester has to be getting a, a, an upgraded engine at some time soon. But I can only imagine that that would do some pretty tough things to the price of this of this vehicle. Well, how do they compare price wise? They're, I mean, it's almost identical in terms of pricing. I think the Forester starts at a much more um, lo- at a lower price point, but uh, when you're comparing all-wheel drive models to all-wheel drive models, let me just get the exact numbers because I'm just going off what I remember. And um, and I also wanted to add that the Forester does have more um, interior room than the than the Rav4. Um, so I also wanted to say. I mean, we've talked about the potential watering down of the TRD um, name with this RAV4. Yeah. But, man, it looks good. I, I'm okay with it if they give it this treatment, if it looks cool. Because you can get a sport version of the Forester, which adds these, like, orange highlights to it. And uh, that is far less cooler. That is far less cool than what we get in the RAV4. And, you know, I don't think anyone buys the TRD version of the RAV4 expecting to be able to do hardcore off-roading. So I don't think anyone's going to be very disappointed. Um, I can't even really think of a vehicle in that segment where you could do hardcore off-roading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe those Trailhawk versions of uh, whatever Jeep has, the Cherokee? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, think it's, the problem it, with that is that you're stuck with the Cherokee and there's... And I'm sorry to say this, but the Cherokee is is, is a very poor product in other ways. Um, it just does not have a great engine, a good powertrain. It's poor on gas. It has zero space inside. Yeah, I mean the track, uh, the, the, the Trailhawk is good, but I think if you were like a, a hardcore off-road fan, you would point at the fact that it's missing a lot of the gear you'd really want to have uh, to avoid getting towed on the trail. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much better it is really compared to the Rav4. I so mean, I'm the, sure in certain situations it will perform better, but across the board, I don't know. So the Rav4 starts at 25. Nine, and that's with a front-wheel drive version of the vehicle. And while the Forester starts at twenty-four-five um, for an all-wheel drive model, and then the, it, it tops out 
at a four-star touring, which is uh, just under $35,000, while a fully loaded um, uh, non-hybrid version of the RAV4 is uh, also about $34,450, and I think that's for a um, uh, front-wheel drive version of the truck. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about uh, the RAV4 TRD Pro, or TRD Off-Road, sorry? Um. The tires, man. These are not tires made for the road. I think that's clear with the with the package details. It is um, you, you really, if you're going to get the TRD off road version of this, please take it off road. I think that's the most important part um, of this whole package because it seems like you're going to be getting a lot of compromise if you do get the TRD off road and you're using it solely for for pavement use because they're loud, they're not very good on gas. Um, and they don't have the, mo- the most res- responsive feel. So there's there's one more thing I wanted to talk about on this week's podcast. And that's something that we kind of missed out on over the last couple of weeks. Um, that would be the 2021 Ford F-150 reveal that happened, I think, at the end of June, Sammy. Did we really not talk about the F-150 reveal? I don't think we did. <laughs> or have we just blanked on it? I don't think we did. Um, I checked the the show notes of the last little while, and okay. there's really nothing there about the F-150. I think that's so funny because you and I, I think me and you have talked about it um, away from the podcast. And it's it's important to talk about this. I think. Yeah, especially we just talked about the Rangers. So, you know, yeah. if you're not going to buy Ford's medium, mid, mid-sized truck, and you are going to buy the new F-150, what are you getting? Uh from everything I can see, Sammy, it kind of feels like a really mild upgrade. I mean, they're saying it's a next-generation truck. It's going to have a hybrid engine. But aside from that, what's really new about it? I think the refinement is beyond what we're used to seeing. I think a lot of people think like a new generation product has to come with a new a new engine or a new platform, a new, a new chassis, where uh, I don't know about the chassis of this vehicle, but I do know that it has so much more uh, technology and features and things that I don't think were possible in the last generation uh, version of the truck. So you mentioned the the, the hybrid powertrain. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a three and a half liter twin turbo V6 with a 35 mm-hmm. kilowatt electric motor. Yeah. Um, but there's also going to be another uh, electrification in another form. There's going to be an optional power generator um, on some models, which is going to be interesting as well. Does it come uh, with the AllSpark option? Can I get that too? Like, like Cybertron? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay. Okay. Um, And then there were some changes that were done to the, um, how do you describe it, the the interior. First of all, it has this really interesting looking uh, gear selector, which can fold down and you can unfold the armrest on top of it to make a sort of table, which I think is a really cool feature. However, it looks like the the gear selector is motorized. Yeah, so essentially if you want to make this table, you push a button, I guess, and the shifter that's in the center console folds flat into the console and then you can put the table down. Let me tell you why this is a terrible idea, Sammy. Right, tell me. I'm going to tell you about another truck that also makes space in the center console by removing the shifter, and that's the Ram, the Ram 1500, which has a dial on the dash that you just turn to drive or turn to park, and you avoid all of this showmanship P.T. Barnum-style shifter (laughs) that flips up and flips down. One day, that shifter is going to get stuck up or it's going to get stuck down, and you're going to be stranded or irritated, and there's no reason for it. I mean, this is a truck. It's going to be used. There's going to be grit and grime that's going to get into that mechanism. And 
all of that it's just it's just showmanship for no reason this is a feature where they're showing off when the real engineering solution would have been push buttons or a dial to relocate uh, almost all transmissions are electronically controlled these days so we're just pretending with that shift lever anyway right um let's talk about that uh, that hybrid, that potential hybrid feature as well um, it's important to note that the F-150 isn't the first hybrid if you're going to include the Eco, what is it, the Eco E-Torque, sorry, E-Torque found in the RAM. It's not even the first hybrid. There were hybrid Silverados back in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, I forgot about them. And they got, oh, they got 25% me. better fuel mileage around town than the standard versions. You killed me with that fact. I can't believe I forgot about that. It was a very um, rare truck, wasn't it? I don't know if Find it was. I don't know if it was rare. But it wasn't popular. Uh, they, they, they weren't. They weren't problematic either. They they worked just fine. So should should truck owners be excited about the the potential for a and and first of all, those past hybrids were mild hybrids, right? They weren't um, like true hybrids like we know them. That can operate on electric motors alone. Yeah, they were. They they were assisted. They were in assist. So assisted. this will likely be a full hybrid, right? I I don't know. I'm assuming we so. don't have a lot of information about the hybrid. We don't have a lot of information about the drivetrains. They're all carryovers. I mean, it's the five liter V8, yeah. three point three liter V6, um, the the, the EcoBooster used to, but they're they're. I mean, in theory, the the truck is new from stem to stern, so we can expect some differences in fuel mileage and power. And that's important to note because there were some new tra- powertrains that came to the competition, like the Silverado, right? Like that uh, four cylinder turbo. I think they have in there. Yeah, Ford doesn't and seem the to be diesel. going. Well, Ford has a diesel, but they're not going down the four-cylinder route. I mean, I think the hybrid is going to be their fuel mileage champion. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit of – it's a bit better greenwashing. It'll probably be – I don't want to say it's similar in price, but you do have to pay more for the Turbo 4 Silverado. So, Okay. So let's talk about the uh, other features of this of this truck. Um, I believe on top trim models, there's going to be a max refli- recline seat that totally folds flat. Um isn't that what you've wanted in a, in a truck, one that you could just sleep in? I have slept in the cab of an F-150, completely upright. It was a single <laughs> cab truck. There was no recline. And uh, I regret being young sometimes. <laughs> um, there's also going to be um, new infotainment systems, Sync 4. Um, there's going to be all these um, driver assistance features. Hopefully they work better than they did in your uh, Ranger with its one-time per ignition cycle Ford collision warning system. And I think everything has a 10-speed auto. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things that they were showcasing with the, the press package. There was a lot of footage of being able to use the tailgate as a workbench. <laughs> yeah, didn't they? I, I've seen one picture where they, they have a piece of wood, like, clamped to the tailgate. Yeah, so you, I think there's going to be, like, these clamps available, these, like, accessories that you so can So you get. can saw into your tailgate. This is this <laughs> is what awful. I'm... This is what's going to happen. I'm yeah. going to do it by accident. <laughs> um, oh, they're also going to have a, a feature called Active Drive Assist, which will allow F-150 drivers to go hands-free on specific... It's kind of like Super Cruise. So pre-mapped sections of the highways, you can go hands-free on, which is insane. I mean, I'm hands-free 80% of the time when I'm driving. God, Ben, stop it. Uh, for legal reasons, I'm not. Yes, that's but right. But maybe I am. <laughs> uh, we still don't know how much it'll cost. It will be made here uh, in, in America, in North America. It's going to be made in Dearborn um, and Kansas City. And it's supposed to be coming this fall. 
which will be interesting to see because some production ha- around the world have kind of have been stifled due to uh, COVID-19. Yeah, of course. Um, and it's also a question of, you know, not just production, but are people looking to buy a brand new truck right now? Yeah, with a recession potentially on the way or on the way or here. I don't know how, to, how else to describe it. Sammy's uh, such a gloomy gust today. Oh, uh, I want I mean, I, I think it's interesting that you think it's not as significant of a of an upgrade as it could have been. What were you looking for potentially with a next generation product? I just don't think the F-150 has really moved the bar in recent years. Uh, they went to the aluminum design that kind of no one cared about. I mean, when's the last time you, you talked to a truck owner who was really excited about that? And in fact, Ford made a big deal about that lightening up the truck. But the reality is the Ford F-150 was already very heavy. And right. you, going to the aluminum design, the aluminum body, kind of just brought them in line with their competition where they already were at. I Well, I, I think it's funny that you bring that up because the the aluminized, the aluminum version of it, the aluminization of it, I don't know what to call it, um, if they had never done that, do you think they would be offering a carbon fiber bed on the GMC Sierra? I don't know. Again, carbon fiber <laughs> bed is total marketing. It is such I, a gimmick. I think it's meant to be a direct uh, rival to Ford constantly boasting about uh, next generation, in quotes, um, materials in their trucks. It's possible. But the thing with the aluminum is you can't not get it from Ford. Yeah. Right? Like it's always there and it's it's a design thing. Whereas the you can get a regular box from GMC if you want to. I, I think right. that's kind of an upsell marketing kind of deal. Well, they didn't talk much about the about the weight savings in this new generation one. Maybe they are holding off until more information uh, for later on in the year f- to provide more information. But from a quick glance, it doesn't look like a huge jump. But I think that there's quite a lot under the hood that people will, that truck owners specifically will look forward to. I'm just trying to think of the last time I got in an F-150 and said, "Wow." Yeah, that's. I agree with you. That's been rare. So it's it's in that with that in mind, I kind of wanted this truck to do more. Uh, maybe I wanted it to back away from the super huge styling that everyone's doing. I mean, they, they had a chance to to make a different kind of truck, a different option. And I guess when you have a truck that sells 900,000 units a year, you're scared to make any changes. You're scared to make any dramatic changes. So it's entirely possible that the the F-150 has been paralyzed by its own success. Um, we saw Ram take big chances with the truck because they were in a distant fourth place. Right. And they they were they were like, well, I mean, if it doesn't work, it can't be worse than it is now. But for Ford, it can be very worse. And I think that might maybe informs a lot of the decisions, certainly with styling about the truck. Can I add, when uh, a week before they revealed this truck, Ford went on a on a uh, on a parade, essentially, uh, showing uh, me- members of the media just how much they know their truck uh, customers. And they did a, a survey with a bunch of truck owners, and they described just how much um, truck owners love their their trucks. And I think it was full of all these insane statistics that I thought you would probably find really funny. Um, For example, they asked owners which activities they would give up for a whole year before they would give up the keys to their truck. Um, And the the results are are pretty impressive. They said 82% of people would would give up streaming services um, before giving up their truck. 79% of truck owners would give up alcohol before giving up their truck. 71% would give up drinking coffee. 47% would give up using a phone. 44% would go vegetarian. 38% of truck owners 
surveyed said that they would give up having sex before having before giving up the trees, the keys to their truck. <sighs> <laughs> so uh, I think it's it's interesting as well. Twenty five percent of uh, of their truck owners have said they've given their truck a name. 15% of truck owners have a tattoo of their truck or something related to their truck. Well, wait, 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 something bot. related to their truck. That could be <laughs> almost anything. That could be like a jet ski that they tow. It could be a set of truck nuts. Right. Uh, it could be a logo. <laughs> I, uh, and 40, according to Ford, the people that they, sur- they surveyed said 40% of their owners, of these truck owners that they surveyed, said that they would, they are excited about the idea of an electric pickup truck. And I thought that was something that maybe we wouldn't uh, have expected to see. I think a lot of people thought that the truck owners were uh, less inclined to go electric. But, you know, there was a bit of hype last year when Tesla showed off its Cybertruck concept or whatever, if that is a production vehicle or not. Um, and maybe that, that moved the needle a little bit on the potential for electrified trucks. I mean, maybe. So anyways, uh, it's about time we talked about the F-150. You're right. I can't believe we missed it in the, in the last episode. But I'm glad that we did. Um, anything else we want to talk about? No, uh, I think I think that's it for me today. So before we go, Ben, can you just uh, remind our listeners one more time uh, about Code 45? Sure. Uh, if you want to get in on the Code 45 graphic novel, you can pick it up at www.code45.com. Issues 1 to 3 are available there right now. We have a bundle deal if you want to pick up all three and get started. And every little bit helps. It's a Kickstarter campaign, so it's all or nothing. And we had great success with our first Kickstarter, so we're hoping you join us for this one too. Very cool. Now, for our listeners, if you want to see uh, some links to this, the, the vehicles we've talked about this week, you can head on over to our website. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and you can see all of our episodes there. You can see photos of the trucks or uh, the cars that we drove. Um, you can see links to the stories that we've written. You can also subscribe to the podcast through the website. It's very easy. There's some buttons on top. There's also a very easy way to get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. You fill that out. It lands in our inbox, and we'll probably feature your question or whatever you want to talk about on the podcast shortly after. And if you want to get in touch with us on social media, you can do that in a couple of ways. You can get Sammy on Twitter. He's at Sammy underscore hot, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And as Sammy mentioned, you can also get in touch with us on the contact form. So, Ben, what are you driving next week? I am I'm driving the BMW X7, uh, the oh, X7 the- M50i, Sammy. Wow. Another big vehicle. Okay. Um, and I will have a Kia Forte 5, so I'm looking forward to, to, to driving that because uh, I love I love small compact cars. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening next week, this week, sorry, and looking forward to having you back next week. See ya.